What's going on, everybody? Happy Sunday. Happy, happy Sunday. I'm here joined with the talented RJ and Dr. Brian Paul, as as always. And we've got a super exciting show for you. Um, we're bringing on Pat Vincent of Black Work in Boro. I met Pat back when he was working with Blue River in 2019 at MO Cup. I was able to session up and have a few dabs with him. And he really struck me as a, a you know, a really educated guy who was about the craft. And I was able to stay in touch with him over the last few years and really excited to have him on today. So without further ado, I want to bring in Pat and, and welcome, man. Thanks so much for coming. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, happy Sunday. Good to see y'all. Thanks for coming on, my man. Yeah, I got to say, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said yesterday, you got a busy, busy life. We'll say it right now. You got a baby on the way. I do. A hours away from due. So, yeah, uh, due on Friday is the due date. My wife thinks that he's going to be a little bit uh, late, maybe a little bit later. He's our first kid. That's not uncommon. So that's going on. Uh, it's really exciting. I'm really stoked about it. Um, so yeah, it's a huge change in my life, you know, a huge, huge change. Um, but yeah, like that's, what's going on now. I pretty much, you know, I'm, I'm at home, my wife's on leave. So we're pretty much, you know, just getting in baby mode, getting prepped more than anything else. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time and, and sliding this, this interview in or this, this session. No worries, man. No, it's awesome. It's, I feel like I haven't done something like this in a while and I love doing it. I love talking about you know, weed and glass and life and whatever so it's fun for me so well let's like start it off the way we always like to start it off is take us way back like where, where did you grow up and what were some of your first experiences with cannabis uh okay so i grew up just outside chicago about 30 minutes west of the city in the suburbs um i started smoking weed when i was i don't know like 14 13 14 15 like in that age you know not like all i feel like by 15 i was smoking weed like a lot you know um but uh so yeah i i don't know i i grew up there weed was super different there you know when i was growing up weed was hella illegal um what was the quality like you know, honestly, a lot of beasters. There was like a lot of beasters that came that came in still then when I first started smoking. Um, I feel like, you know, the first time I bought like good weed, it was beasters. And I was like, well, like looking back, I'm like, wow, that weed was trash. Um, but it's, you know, there was that. And then being, once I got like a little bit more into weed, being close to Chicago, 30 minutes away, there was great. You just had to go find it. You know, you had to seek it out and like, it, one of the other things that made it really easy was that there were a lot of people who did all that work for you. So you just had to meet people who already liked stuff that you were into anyway. There's a huge scene in Chicago and it just grew and grew. And as I got a little bit older, um, it got kind of just, it just got kind of crazier and crazier, man. Like, especially when dabbing happened, the cannabis scene in Chicago blew up when dabbing well, was a thing. Let's talk about that. We always like to talk about what, what year and what year. Dab, what year. I don't even know. Oh my God. Um, what was, I took it, my first, I took my first dab in like 2009, I think at Bonnaroo. I went to Bonnaroo and I was all recreationally party, uh, favored out and wandering, trying to find my camp. And I met a guy who had driven all the way from California and he had like a, a flower tube and he was taking gross dabs, like gross looking dabs off of a tie curve. I was going to say how, how dirty were your feet? <laughs> they were pretty dirty. <laughs> I, I was wearing sandals all day. It was nighttime by then. It was it was it was pretty gnarly, and it was like my first really big music festival, like uh, that I ever went to. So it was just kind of a crazy experience. 
And I ran into this guy and I had a bunch of blunts rolled and I was like smoking a blunt and I, and he was like, that smells good. And we started like chit chat and I was like, do you know where I forget what road I was on, but I was like trying to find my camp. He's like, he's like, I was like, do you know where this is? He's like, yeah, you got to go like down that way past all the vendors. He's like telling me, I was like, are you taking dabs? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I've only ever seen that shit on the internet. Can I, can I trade you like a blunt for one or something? He's like, no, just sit down. I'll give you one. So he was really cool. He's good vibes. And he basically got me super high and just like sent me off into the darkness, telling me like how to get back to my camp. And I found my way there. It was fine. Um, but was, I, that a, was that a glowy for Kobe? Oh yeah. Off of a tie, off of a tie curve and everything. Like it was definitely a glowy red hot. The, the dab itself was probably an ugly khaki color to be kind to it. You know, like it was, it was gross. It was, it was very early in the dabbing era. Um, and you know, he didn't seem like the kind of guy who was a connoisseur to say he seemed more like the festival circuit guy who really liked to get high um made it in his bathroom maybe i don't know you know dude like and that said like i, I remember this all leads to going back to back to illinois after bonnaroo leaving tennessee coming home and telling my homie i took a dab we have to do this we need to take dabs it's amazing and uh you know fast forward to all the things that were horrible about BHO explosion in non-legal states and in, even in legal states, you know, we were making BHO, uh, doing it on, on apartment patios and just, you know, doing anything. It's so exactly what RJ and I did. Anything we were doing was sketchy in terms of, you know, the chemistry involved in making BHO. And, um, there was a time where we were buying like brick, like, melty bubble hash for a while that and we were doing this thing and honestly it was like rosin before rosin almost i call it uh where we take a we read about this on toke city you take a stainless steel bowl and put it over a double boiler and you tap the hash against the stainless steel bowl over and over and over that's the rosin version it, one and it it melts it just leaves a little bit of that melt on the bowl and then you pull it up and you scraped it all off and we would dab that dude like we were doing whatever we could to make it dab to make it easy. So wait, and are you applying pressure or you just like have the heat on it and then you're slapping it and pulling it off? Just kind of slap and pull it off. Cause like, think of it, you're using like three and four star hash. You're just getting like that little bit of milk, dude. But that's it. what rosin was. Yeah. And that's like, like that's, that's how you made rosin. Like that's how, that was the rosin tech pre soil grown. Well, and that's the thing. That's what people realize is like rosin has been a thing for a long time. You just don't, you don't know. hundred percent. People didn't know that that was a thing people were doing. It's like, I don't know who, whose tech that was. I pulled that off. We pulled that off Toke City from yep. goodness knows. That's, like, that's also what I heard, like, what Melt was, though. Like, originally, it was like, this shit's been around forever. It's just, you don't get to see it because all the growers and the trimmers and the makers are taking this shit. So you don't get to see any of this. Right. And that's, and that's the reality of it, too, is, like, hash was always a thing that was for the industry. It was something that you got because you were involved in what was going on whether that was grow or the the making of the hash or the trimming or whatever it was like that stuff was something that you 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 couldn't sell when i my one of my one of my hash mentors uh half of the bizarre brothers i don't know if you guys know who those dudes are from oakland mm -hmm. uh space uh very recently rest in peace to space he passed away not too long ago um and corpy those are like my brothers for life you know they're they taught me so much about making hash on a large scale you know, they, they were like, 
you didn't make hash to sell it. No one wanted to buy it. You, it was a thing that you made because you and the grower, a couple other guys wanted it. Anyone else who was like, anyone else who wanted hash was already in the know and getting hash however they needed it. People, you couldn't sell hash because people would smoke it and be way too hot. Like it just wasn't a thing. There was no market. And now it's like, as time's gone on and everyone's smoking concentrates and whatever, it's just become this thing that's normalized. So it's crazy. It's crazy just in that sense too. Did you, that? Did, you, did you see that when, you know, from when you took your first dab to when you were open blasting, as you were maturing, were, was that, this is going to get huge or was this for love of the I watched it explode, you know, and I moved from Chicago when I was about 22, 23 years old to California. Uh, I moved out, out to, I moved out to Santa Rosa area. I tried to start an edible company with this guy. Uh, he basically hit me up and was like, let's go 50, 50 on this. You can do production. You're already doing edible stuff. Uh, cause I've been doing edible stuff since I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, and he was like, let's, let's get something going. And more or less, you know, I came out, I was working and I started making the dude a lot of money. And when he saw all the money that was coming in, he was like, oh, well, I don't want to split this with you. And it turned into a bad situation. Um, but ultimately what was best for me, you know, like I, I, I left California briefly. I was back in Illinois. I was pretty much, uh, just like living at my parents' house with nothing going on. I didn't have like a job. I didn't have a hustle because like most of my hustle connections, I had like, was like, Hey, I'm moving to California later. Like, Hey buddy, take over my accounts, you know, <laughs> like, and then I can't, I can't like come back and be like, Hey man, can I take that, uh, that food off your table now? It was just like a whole weird situation. So I was really kind of like lost, you know, for a minute. And um, through the the wonder of the internet, I found, um, you know, a cool community of people through, I feel like it was through 710 Society and and like those those early groups on Facebook and stuff helped me find a bunch of people and some, some web chat platforms to find people to meet. Um, a good friend of mine was like, hey, come live in Oakland. Come, come crash our couch for a little while. Uh, and I was like, I don't have any money. I don't have anything like I have nothing. They're like, just come. We're making hash. We have a bunch of food grade, make the food grade, split the edibles with us. Like, let's go, you know? And I was like, all right, cool. So I flew out to Oakland and I, I, uh, crashed on the couch at the bazaar, uh, with the bazaar bros with Corpy and space. And, um, and my friend Bridget at the time, she, she invited me in and she, she did a ton of stuff for me. She's awesome. We're not really on good terms anymore. We had a falling out unfortunately but she did so much for me you know like so many people i met through the internet really facilitated my ability to move west to do the cannabis thing and uh it was awesome it was really awesome that to have that reality so many people ask me when i go home how do i go back how do i get a job and i'm like dude just try to meet someone don't don't just run out there looking for a job you're gonna get screwed chances are you're gonna get screwed anyway but like you know you have to you have to have connections you have to know people it's all in the know for for this thing so Watching it explode, moving west, seeing it blow up, seeing the change in pipes happen. Like the pipe collecting scene was this small little thing that was like, oh, I know you and I know you. We know each other and there's 40 of us, you know, and like even now when you go to DFO, it's like, okay, there's 250 of us because it's like it's like the serious people, you know, but like at the same time, it's still so much bigger than it was. You you there's kids buying pipes posting pipes spending tons of money on pipes um you know you're getting hit up on instagram because some kid saw your pipe and wants to sesh but it changed so much about 
cannabis, it blew up the trap scene. It blew up BHO, like BHO blew up the trap scene. Everyone and their grandma sold uh, hash and it, it just, you know, it, it do you think the glass, do you think the glass scene blew up because of legalization laws starting to happen? Or do you think it blew up because of how popular BHO and flexing the ladder on the gram happened? Ladder, a hundred percent. It legality hasn't blown up pipe, pipe culture. Pipe culture was a thing before weed was legal. You know what I mean? It was a thing that we cared about as glassheads long before that, and that we felt like it was worth investing time, money, and risk into to have for ourselves. What happened is legalization made it acceptable. So it was already blown up before weed was legal, even before weed was legal in California under the 215 laws, because like, don't get it twisted. Weed was legal. It wasn't legal. You know, like it was very different. It was it was the Wild West and we were all cowboys doing whatever we want. And for some people, the, the 215 laws meant, oh, it's cool. I can have two ounces of weed at my house and I can smoke weed in my car on break uh, at work or whatever. And like that was the extent of it. But for some of us, we were like, weed's legal. I'm growing 100 plants, you know, like I'm making I'm making hash. I'm doing this like we're getting it. And it it was it was all. None of it was legal, but none of it was illegal because no one was bothering us about it. And when when you had means to to create like money from this thing you loved, you had to spend it on like, you know, like it comes back to that whole thing. It's like, this isn't really legal what we're doing. Like if I have all this money sitting here and something happens, I shouldn't have a bunch of cash sitting around. I can't put it in the bank. I can't do this. Yeah, you couldn't put it in the bank. That's that's the biggest thing too, though. Like, right. You couldn't actually put it yeah. in the bank in a meaningful way. You couldn't buy but, a house with it. So like, what else was there to do other than, you know, try to either. Well, and that's the thing. It's like. If, that's if, it. Legitimize that money through investments. If, like, and if, if pipe kids were smart, they wouldn't buy pipes. You know what I mean? Like, pipe is worth more money later. You're really lucky. And like, for me, so many of my pipes that I have in my collection are old. They have push bowls. They, for me, their value is significantly more than what I could ever get in the market for. You know, and like, for me, that's what collecting pipes was always about. And smoking weed was, they just went hand in hand. You know, you had a cool pipe because you wanted to smoke good weed out of it. And then you made cool friends because you had a cool pipe and you smoked good weed out of it. And like, you found people that, that got together. A pipe is like a, you know, like it goes back to that. What is, what is a pipe? You know, like it's this thing that brings people together. It's always a ceremonial thing that's passed around and shared. And even now with dabbing where you don't really like pass a pipe around the way that you used to when we were kids, you still like all pick it up and look at it and take your turn smoking out of it and experiencing it. And it's this thing, this vessel that brings people together, you know? And I that's had a thought. I had a thought just the way that you were talking about it. Cause it almost, it's like the ticket to the culture, right? It, it almost is, but it, at the so, same time, that sucks because. So I was going to say, do you think that there's a relationship like that to NFTs and like how some people are pushing an NFT of the pipe and then it becomes an exclusive community? I, I don't want to get into the NFT thing. I think it's very <laughs> silly. I, I have a fine, I have a fine art degree. So like for me, art has to hold value. And the hard thing about NFTs is they only hold value because everyone says they hold value. And for me, that's just a volatile market that's going to crash. And I could be totally wrong. You know, I could be totally wrong. They, there's a lot of technology behind it that like has value. And there, there is a lot of value to it, right? 
But no, I was just, I was just like drawing similarity to like the the ticket, right? <laughs> How they say it's the ticket to the community. It's all about the community, and it's like yeah, yeah. I was going to say it sucks you know, that having a crazy tube would be the the ticket. I don't, I don't. It's clout. It's a clout. He rocks on a tube. Like to subscribe to that policy either because I remember. I think I told you guys the other day, I, I remember going into a shop. I was probably not even old enough to be in the, in the bong store, you know? And I saw a banjo motorcycle lady and the guy told me it was 1200 bucks. And I was like, do people even buy those? And he said, I'll never forget. He goes, this ain't a museum kid. And then he asked me if I was even old enough to be in there. And I was like, really worried. So I dipped, you know, <laughs> like I was out, but it was a moment where as soon as I saw it, I was like, I can't ever have that. You know, there were huge pipes on the shelf. They were 700 or 600 bucks. I could never buy those in my head. I was a kid, you know, and, um, looking back on it, like the huge pipe that was $700 if I could have bought it, it's like, oh my God, what a fucking deal. Right. And, and now it's, uh, it was one of those things where I immediately went to the internet to find pipes. I was like, internet pipes. I got to find more pipes. And I found the community, the pipe community through Toke City and all these other things. And it was really yeah, cool. It, it was really cool to see that like, wow, there's a whole bunch of people that really are into these things. Wow. These people really do spend $1,200 on bonds. Like that's real. And you know, my dream, I remember my dream one day being to own a Yushin pipe and I own a dozen or something now. Like it's crazy. So, you know, believe me, just believe in your reality, do what you want to live your life and you'll get there. But like the things you don't expect from a thing like glass pipes can come from it. Some of my best friends in the entire world I know through pipes, some of, um, some of the best deals I've ever made for money or for exchanges have been via pipes. You know, like I, I have so many pipes that I've gotten in great trades and good deals. And then ultimately I come out with a friend. Like, it's cool, man. It's, I was going to say, it's not truly about the pipe. It's about the like it's friendship and community. Yeah. It's the it's vessel. The again, like I said, it's a vessel that brings us all together. Like it doesn't matter if it's that bowl from the gas station that you smoked out of when you were 14 or 15 that your buddy had, you guys sat in a circle and that vessel brought you together to sit in that cold ass garage and smoke weed together, <laughs> play halo or whatever it was. And like, it does the same thing now. It's just, we're adults, dude. It's a whole different thing. Like, and for, and I don't, I don't like the idea of it being a ticket to the community. I like the idea of like gates open, come on in, you know, like that's, I'm a, I'm a gates open kind of guy. I'm not a gatekeeper. I want to like let everybody in and it's hard, you know, especially when pipe making and glass and the dab scene blew up. It was scary because you did have a pipe that was expensive and some kid who didn't know anything about it was like trying to look at it and it's, it's intense, you know? But you just have to, I think that like, for me, I was always like, oh, I'll hold it. You can hit the pipe. I'll hold it for you. Or like, let me hold it while you check it out. Or if you want to take some pictures, that's cool. Tag me or, but like to tell somebody that this is your ticket and you have to have this to be cool. I don't like that policy because I feel like it's going to deter people from that scene. And it's going to, you know, like, I don't care if you have a, a crummy Chinese pipe. I'll try to convince you to buy one that's made by an American artist to support, or, you know, a, a independent artist in general. I know you guys are all Canadian. I don't want to fucking. Hey, there's, there's I, solid Japanese. I own a ton there's of American. Japanese artists. Well, and that's the thing. Most people collect American made glass and that's like a huge thing in the scene. But like, it's, it's more about an independent artist for me. I don't care if you, if you blow glass and you live in China and you're getting away with it, the government hasn't chopped your fingers off for it. 
fucking and you're an independent artist making money go for it dude like i'll buy your pipes if they're cool i just the whole thing is uh support someone and for me the experience is just infinitely better out of a nicer pipe when someone gives me a bong that is like some cheap dhk bong and i get it i'm like this is clogged and they're like it's so i just cleaned it you're like yeah it's like it's clogged you know that's the, that's the same I, I talk about like quality like that compare a car man you know, like a piece of shit that costs you like 500 bucks, it rolls. It'll get you point A to point B. You may be able to take it onto the highway, but compare that to like a brand new luxury car. There's a reason. It doesn't even have to be luxury. Just a brand new car. Just a brand new car. That's it. Like, like, you know, not even new, like a well-maintained, actually, just actually an amazing old luxury car because the care has gone into it. Like a lot of Chinese glass is actually pretty good. You know what I mean? There's a lot of shit out there, but like, yo, like think about where we were five years ago, talking about Chinese glass now versus import bangers. Oh, it's crazy. Everyone's got import bangers because the quality is there. Well, and and dude, I go, my family still lives in Illinois. I go home and visit. Every time I go home and visit, my brother has broken the bong that I bought last time. And I go to the store and I buy another $60 bong. And it's like, I could never do that. You couldn't buy a $60 bong when I was a kid. Even a little bong was $60 and it sucked. You didn't buy it. because it was acrylic. It was a piece of shit. And now you go to the store in Illinois and you buy a, a 14 inch tall, seven and a half mil thick ass fucking glass tube. And honestly, the only thing that sucks about it is the down stem. If you put a new down stem in it, it hits fine because it's just a fucking tube. You know, mm. at, at the reality is you can buy a nice bong from China, but like, the reality of that is that bongs that are made by independent artists have gotten much nicer since then. You know, like it's the little things, like like the way you're, you're saying, like the downstem, the functionality, the little things. Hidden get, features, though, too, make the larger gap in the color. But I mean, the quality of a weld to a weld. Well, and and yeah, I can show you welds on. I can show you welds on old American-made pipes that look like trash, and I can show you welds on brand new Chinese pipes that look perfect. Let's you know, go. Let, let's dive into this glass. Like I feel like this is the right. Yeah. Let's, let me hit this one. I'm gonna mute myself because I might cough a little bit. I'm, yeah. No worries. Since I got into COVID a little while ago. Like, so I Ooh. I want to shout out Mr. Eric Crunk, AK, AK's birthday this weekend. So I got all my crunks out. Um, uh, I guess I can maybe yeah. show off my other ones too. Arjun, well, well, uh, well, Patrick and his ball, feel free to show the stand. Oh, that's a really nice piece too. Old Toro. Wow. That's just. That's incredible. That tall boy. Like Sherlock. I love this. Yeah, that Sherlock is, is pretty work. sick. It's got like embedded opals. Um, yeah. So this slide right here. Uh, I I. Presumed to be around from 2005. So that's the oldest piece of AK that I own. Uh, all were acquired between 2009 and 2011. So it's pretty much been in my collection for 10 years. Just, you know, the, the piece that you keep around. Super blessed to be able to acquire this when I did. Um, and yeah, just big shout out to AK on his birthday. Happy birthday to the man who created all this incredible art. Super blessed to own it. Super blessed to smoke out of it. And uh, yeah, absolute fire. A definite happy so, birthday to Eric, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'll bring some more of that out to, to show lighting wasn't the best there, but it was I definitely, I love all that chaos work. I love the, for me, I love root, the pipe making roots a lot. And I think that Eric's work is a great representation of like chaos work and like the roots of pipe making and, the, and like what it is for me, I, for me, pipe making is a lot about the shaping and the line work. And I think that's why I collect a lot of Yush work. I think for me, Yush's work it is all about the evolution of the disc. You know, like it's about taking that disc shape and evolving it over time. And I think that's one of the really cool things about his work is you see the progression work through um, using this shape continuously. And then, um, you know, his older pieces are obviously all push bubblers, which I love. And the disc originates, you know, in the mouthpiece mostly. And then his use of the discs for flips and for just art is insane. Like, yeah, he's taken that, the that use of a concept disc for of functions. Well, at first it was the use of a disc for a flip, for a presentation surface for art, to create this thing that was about, I'm going to make a, a piece of art here. And that's like, what's really cool about the disc in that, you know, even just the belt buckles are just a disc. You know, and this one's all dirty because it was like my daily driver for a while and it would get smoked out of once in a while and I never cleaned it. But um, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's a great, huge open surface. The same thing with, with like a disc flip. You can draw a picture on there. You can do all this cool line work on it. And it it like gives you a flat surface to do it. But but I think that what Yush's work has found is that the disc acts as a functionality thing eventually. And it, it became, you know, like, so the disc, the disc goes to there. He has the bub, the disc here functions as this great platform for this cool little wigwag, but it also functions as if you fucking hit this thing way too hard and you let go of this snorkel carb and water shoots all the way up, it's probably going to go all the way across the disc instead of straight in your mouth. And like, I loved that factor. And then he takes it and evolves on it again. With the double bub, because his Yusha's double bubs are super unique, and I love that they're not the typical. Yo, that is unreal. <laughs> that is two of these. Uh, there's two bubs like this. Uh, the it's like kind of sisters, if you will. Um, and uh, this is just one of them. If you want me to go grab the other one, I will in a second. But I can show you both of them. But um, it's just right in the house. But th this is really cool because. You see his progression here. You have his his double bub is a natural perk. So instead of having a, a down stem and then a second chamber with another down stem, he just has this cool natural perk, and it's really kind of hidden. You can see it there where it connects. But then it comes up into the disc and these hollow horns. So this acts as function, you know? Like, it bubbles up in here, and then it perks again through this disc. Killer. And then that disc attaches to the mouthpiece here and comes up this natural splash guard too. So I, you can put so much water in these and never hit your mouth. It's really cool. And uh, I think probably a rumbler, like shaking the it, dude, I think you have to put like a half a gallon of water in it. It's, it's <laughs> huge. The other one I think is even bigger too. Like it has a bigger base. Um, if you were to, if you were to able, if you were able to put like a banger in it and like a terp slurper and it were rumble, it would like be shaking the thing sideways. 
I really wish that I could. It's such a shame that there's not a cool way to put a dab device onto a push bowl and make it work. Cause I have so all, almost all my cool pipes have push bowls, you know, like, um, and then I guess it leads back to like, I think this is the design that like you just really most known for the upline up thing. Uh, so high. and it, again, if you look, dude, it's so funny. When I first saw those, I was like, people buy those. It's well, and it's crazy. Everyone's like, how do you hold that? And I'm like, oh, just like this, you know, it fits like right in your hand. It's so ergonomic, dude. Like everything is, once you put it in your hand, you're like, oh, it just fits. Like, it's like, that's, what's really crazy about it too, is they look so daunting, but then when you hold it, it feels so good in your hands. And if you really look, this is just a progression of what he's doing here. You know, like the upline is just this dual perk. It's just like taking this disc here and what he's doing with that natural perk and just evolving on it, you know? And I think where you really struggled for a hot minute was everyone's dabbing that. What the fuck do I do? Yeah. And it, I think that, you know, then he, he was like, well, it's back to the disc. And he just, you know, made the radiculator, which is all about form and function. Which, Unreal. And like, I, this is the most, this, I can't really afford more use work now. His, his work is too expensive now. So it's like, for me, you can see in his, his work now, the remibulators, all the circ cyclers, it's again, just that disc. He's taking that disc and like applying different things. And now I think it's kind of an orb thing that he's working with, which is cool. He like started this whole orb thing. And he's just, you know, progressing work. And for me, the ball within a ball, the ball, disc. ball, the remediator <laughs> started this ball within a ball. And now he has like these weird remediators. Yeah, they're wild, dude. They're so, so it's just, it's cool to see an artist push different stuff in that same box. You know, he's like taking his box and he's like, oh, okay, well, I got this in the box. And he's like, okay, well, I can make it into this or I can make it into this. Now I'm going to make it into this. And you just see him evolve. Like I see him evolve through his work. And I, you see that with some other pipe makers. I think you see it with like a lot of the, <coughs> a lot of those guys who have a lot of clout. Uh, I think you see it with Eric. I think you see it with Quave. Um, you know, you see it, you see it with those big name glass blowers who really are like, uh, you know, the upper echelon of collecting for like real connoisseurs. And I think that's what's important as an artist. Like I said before, I have a degree in fine art. So for me, I'm always trying to see, I don't really make a lot of art anymore because I haven't had a lot of time. Uh, but you know, for me, making art was always about trying to like push an idea further, take the idea, progress on it. And like, you can only be, what art did you do? Huh? I was, oh, I was, I did a lot of painting and sculpture stuff. Um, all through high school and college. Uh, I really like to paint in oil. Um, a lot of my sculpture stuff is like conceptual stuff. A lot of it's about like space and light and like traditional themes of art, like light and shadow, but like made into very like contemporary uh, things to represent light and shadow. And just like, it's weird. A lot of it's weird. <laughs> um, you watch, did you watch, did you watch Blown on Netflix? Yeah, we watched Blown. My wife and I had a good time. It was fun. I feel like that's up your alley because that's like where it really is like. 
I love art form rather than like the smoking. Well, Shelbo, Shelbo was on season two. He was, he was on season two. And um, they had another glass guy that I feel like I had heard of before on the newest season, some younger kid who he was wearing like some cool pendants and stuff. He had like some cool, he was obviously into glass outside of the hot shop mm-hmm. glass. And for me, like art is just like, it's a subjective thing. My house is full of paintings. It's full of posters. It's full of uh, weird oddities and all sorts of goofy stuff. I have uh, skulls and I have dog testicles in a jar. Wait, I saw that. Did you, didn't you get a human skull for Christmas or something? I, I, I do have a human skull that I got for Christmas. The only um, places I've seen those, as soon as I saw that, I was like, so that when I was in like medical school, well, yeah, so that's like sawed off ones and like, yeah, pulling out the brain and stuff. And yeah, it's yeah. So I, I like, I'm just into oddities. I have a bunch of weird, I have like a mummified bat. I have a bunch of bones and animal skulls and, uh, just weird stuff. A bunch of preserved butterflies and like, I yeah, I have a whole bunch stuff. of butterflies. I, I'm with you there. Um, and I wanted a human skull, uh, cause I'm a weirdo. And I was looking up how to purchase one, um, which it, you can, but they're typically very expensive to buy. Um, and I posted it on, I posted on Facebook when I was still using Facebook as a joke one year around Christmas time. All I want for Christmas is a human skull. And this guy, Randy, who actually blows glass and is really cool. He was like this kid from Illinois who was blowing glass in his garage and he would do like pendants, stash and dashes. And I'd like go find his pendants and then smoke weed with him once in a while. He is a cool kid. He lived a couple hours from me, so I didn't do it all the time, but he was cool. He hit me up and he goes, yo, my grandma passed away. She owned this artist retreat. She left me all these storage units full of like art supplies, art uh, stuff, all these um, still life, like uh, model stuff, like stuff for life drawing classes. And he's like, dude, I have like four skulls, a full skeleton, uh, a bunch of stuff. And he's like, I'll just send you one of the skulls. I have one that's pretty beat up. If you don't mind, it's yours. And I was like, done, you know, send it to me. So he sent it over and I've had it ever since. It sits on my mantle. Uh, It's got like a crown of dried flowers and herbs. And there's like a butterfly thing, like a preserved butterfly thing going on. And it's open cap skull. It sits in the place of reverence. You know, I try to give it a lot of honor, I guess. You know, it was a person. There's no weird bad vibes. There's no like a ghost associated with it or anything. And if there is, I've never noticed her, you know, it's a, no, no, I think, no, that's what I was going to say. The important thing is like, yeah, you, you don't want it to like pretend to wear it as a hat, which would be pretty. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit. It's like, it's like for, for the, literally the artistic value and the value that it brings as like an oddity, the oddity of it. And like, just the, I don't know. To remind it, something about like, you know, for me, death is like one of those things where it's, I don't really know a lot about it, but it's probably just a new beginning, you know, like I, every time I think something's ending, just something new started. So it's one of the few sure things you have in life. Yeah. You know, <laughs> death, what do they say? Death and taxes or jail. If you don't pay those, you know, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have, I just have a lot of weird stuff. Me and my wife collect a lot of stuff. I have a ton of paintings. I collect a lot of paintings from my friend Joe Fuentes. Shout out to him. I went to college with him. He's really cool. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. I think it's like Joseph Fuentes art or something. Uh, but check him out. He makes really cool paintings. I have a bunch of his work. 
Um, I collect some more art stuff. I have a lot of like my hype art is kind of like gifted to me. I have like a Gats print that was a gift. I have a big Mars One print that was a gift. Um, but like a lot of what I collect is just stuff that I like. You know, I have a weird painting of Beavis and Butthead. I, that's like where their faces are exploding. It's really awesome. <laughs> it's a weird ass painting. It's great. So uh, like Rondek? No, it's by Joe. It's by, it's by that. Oh, by Joe? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's really cool. Um, I have a lot of fight. I have a bunch of stained glass art. Actually, I have a big stained glass steely right here that I took down. Yes. Oh, wow. That's kind of really cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's my that's my guy. He's awesome. I actually own that painting. It's in my it's in the other room in my house. It's that type. <laughs> it's super fire. That's His work's cool. really cool. Um, yeah, that one too. That's the Beavis and Butthead. Well, that's awesome. That's dope. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's just a good friend, and I love his artwork. He was like one of those dudes who I went to college with, who I was always like, his work has a lot of potential. I love that piece. That last piece was is like one of my favorites. Yeah, so cool. He's, that one got swooped out from under me. His buddy bought it. I wanted it really bad. That's awesome. Yeah, man, he's he's really great. Um, he was in Vegas for a while. I think he moved back towards the Midwest or something now. But he's a good friend. Yeah, dude, just art in general. It like brings me life. You know, I've always loved it. Very cool. Well, yes. So did you did you find that same uh, satisfaction in your early days of hash making? Like, I want to kind of go back to when yeah. you started your solving this extraction journey and, and what that looked like. What was your... Yeah, process? let's talk about that. Um, it, yeah, absolutely. For me, making hash is like, it's, it's a thing. It's an expression of love, you know, and, and, and something that you do because you love it not because not because it's just like a thing to do you know and and i learned i learned a lot about making hash when i moved to when i first moved to santa rosa i was doing edible stuff processing a lot of food grade for matt rise and i kind of watched uh a lot of the hash he was making and really like picked his brain when i could a little bit uh about hash uh he was really nice he was always really kind to me you know he invited me over we ate dinner and um we made fruit leathers when he first started doing that thing. And we were like, we're doing that kind Just of gonna ask. Yeah. He was, he was doing that. He thing. Was yeah. He was doing that. I was like right around that time. Like the juice roller thing. I remember going over there and he was doing it with like, he was just starting to put the edible flowers in and stuff. And we, I loved what he was doing. So we were talking edibles and, and hash and just really liked what was going on. So I really like bought hash from Matt and really like kind of dove more into the salt thing. Cause I've been smoking a lot of BHO. And then when I left California, because my situation there hadn't worked out and came back to Oakland, um, I was living with Corpy and Space, the Bizarre Brothers, who are, again, you know, rest in peace to space. And Corpy is like, you know, my brother from another mother. I love him to death. He's like one of my favorite people in the world. Um, and they taught me a lot about making hash. You know, a, a lot of things that I learned from them were about making hash on a large scale and like how much how different that is than like making hash for your head because making hash for your head even like even what matt was doing was let's talk about that why why is that different 
Oh, dude, it's just such a it's a crazy thing in that you're when you go from process like I remember washing hash from my head, like washing like, you know, an ounce or two of flowers in like the sink in a bucket with the sink full of ice, bucket full of ice and water. And I'm just, you know, like doing all these crazy things. Fucking spoon. And uh when when I went to the bazaar, the whole thing was okay, we have this. I forget. It was like a hundred and sixty gallon conical vessel uh, that gets filled with ice and water, and then we have four sets of cans with bags in them, and everything drops out of the bottom underneath it. It all gets mixed on top, and it's just like this whole other thing, dude. Hash becomes this thing that it's like physically exhausting, and like when you're making hash that way, you're dropping. Mostly ice and water, but you're getting a bunch of weed in the 220 bags. So you're pulling heavy ass 220 bags. Uh, me being a guy who was there to make edibles, I was like, well, we're running those 25 bags, dog, because I need that ash. And that sucks. Uh, pulling a 25 bag when you're making a ton of hash is a whole different thing than pulling a 25 bag when you're making very little hash. Um, it is tough. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, there's. There, again, this goes back to the roots of hash making. Part of the reason dudes didn't make hash back in the day is because you they would literally rent cherry pickers to just string their bags up and hang them from to let them drip. Because there was just like they didn't even understand like the movement of the bag to get everything through. Like it's evolved so much from where it was. Even when Corpy and Space started making hash, you know, Space's techniques were a great. Corby, Corby and Space techniques were so cool because they were so much of the old school. There was so much of the old school hash making there. Everything, the old school dry. You know, we didn't have a freeze dryer when I first lived there. We were making a lot of hash from cured trim, but like very good cured trim, you know, like they had great connections. They'd been making hash forever. Um, so it was, it was just a different experience. You know, we were learn. I was learning a lot about like classic hash making technique and like how to do that. And it's, a lot of the kids who make hash now, I don't think know how to do that. You know, a lot of them, like they come in washing fresh frozen, they buy a freeze dryer. They don't know anything about, uh, you know, a perforated pan with parchment in a room with a dehydrator and an exhaust and all this stuff. Like to, making hash back in the day, like no one, people think that no one did it to scale, but people did like bubble man did it. Corby and space did it. You know, like these, there, there are a lot of people doing it. Before the freeze dryer was a thing, before the fresh frozen was a thing. And um, to be able to meld those two things, to learn the old techniques, it's kind of like when you're, when I was a kid, I always wanted to play guitar because I wanted to shred an electric guitar, right? And as an adult, I know that I'm not even meant to play a guitar because I got stupid fingers. But like as a kid, all I wanted was to play electric guitar, right? And my mom was like, well, you can get an acoustic guitar. And I was like, well, that, that feels fucked. I'm out. You know, I just didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> and it's like, Learning to play the acoustic guitar has all the roots and everything you need to know for maybe why you're doing what you're doing. And like, that's super crucial and important to me. Um, so yeah, my love of making hash is, it exists, you know? I would love to be making some hash from some great weed that a friend grew right now. I don't, I do, I, I, have, a, I have a lab in a box in the garage, you know, I can make hash if I wanted to. It's, it's a, I have some washing machines, uh, some, ace, some two ACs and, a tent and all the stuff I need. I might have to go buy a couple buckets, but I just, um, it's, 
it's different now. I, I worked for Blue River for like, we talked about like about six years. And um, recently, Blue River has become this big multi-state operator, which is awesome. And I'm really stoked to be a part of uh, that happening. It was really cool. And um, I, I had agreed to take over uh, the operations of the lab here in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, the guy who, there's, a, there's a, like a, a brand partner here in L.A., who is running that lab, who owns that lab. And um, he and I just don't really see eye to eye or get along. And, you know, I don't think he really wanted me there. And I don't think I really wanted to be there. So we kind of had a moment where, um, you know, there's been some separation and I'm walking away, but it's not a separation from Blue River per se. It's just a separation from being a day-to-day hash maker here at this lab in LA. Um, I'm on great terms with Tony from Blue River. He's been nothing but good to me. We've been friends for, you know, six years or so now. And um, he's a great dude. Him and his wife just had a baby. So big congrats to him. Um, and he's adorable. And they're doing really good. And I'm still uh, involved in Blue River with like my edible consult thing that I had mentioned. We're going to get some edibles going for them here in the very near future. And um, that's the thing. So. There's no animosity there or anything. It's It's been a really good experience for me to walk away. It's a, kind of a weird time with my kid coming. I feel like it's maybe a crazy thing to do, but at the same time, it, so it's a in my life. It's, it's just a change I need. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. Like you found yourself on the forefront, I feel like, you know, with, kind of with Matt Rise when you did and then with Tony for as long as you were. It's like you've, you've been on the tip of the spear, you know, pushing this. So like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of think... a behind the scenes guy too. Like I kind of, I don't know. I don't. I don't want all the clout or anything really. I just kind of want to do what I do and do it. And like, I think that that's like really apparent to me now that I've always been kind of a man behind the scenes. Me and Tony worked a lot. You know, when I started working for Blue River, I I just did dishes. It was a time in my life that I really needed like structure. I just needed like a job where I needed some structure in my life because my life was just like crazy. And um, I went to him uh, and I was like, hey man, I, I, I just need some work. And he was like, well, the, the deal is you do dishes. Like that's how everyone starts out around here. And like Tony's, Tony's old school like that. And it's kind of cool. I'm pretty heavily tattooed. I'm into the tattoo thing. I wanted to do that for a while. So like that kind of apprenticeship vibe, but I still got paid was a good idea for me. Like I, I like that. I had to kind of earn my keep. Um, and they were making flower rosin. A lot of it was going into like capsules and, and tinctures and stuff. So, um, when, when the hash maker there left, uh, I, he, you know, he's like, do you want to make hash? And I was like, yeah, but we got to stop this flour rosin horseshit. You know, I can't do this. This is not my vibe. Not that it's bad for the tinctures or whatever, but like, even so if we're even, if we're, he make halfway decent dry sift rosin, the potency is higher. It's better for the product. It's less of it in. It just makes more sense, you know? Um, so we started doing a lot of work together to try to develop the dry sift thing. And then we were doing dry sift rosin. We did some really cool stuff. We did some really experimental stuff. Um, Tony designed a machine and we kind of troubleshot it together to get uh, where we wanted for dry sifting. Um, and, you know, we did some cool shit with it. We did a fresh frozen papaya sift collab with uh, Cali Kosher, which, you know, the yield was awful, but it, the hash was incredibly good. It was so fire, dude. Um, and it was just loving wild, you know, things that no one had ever done before. We were just trying to experiment, have fun and like, that's so that for making for me making hash is like all about that it's like learning about something new every day and um you know since then we've grown we went to florida we did the dry sift thing there they're now making live rosin in florida um 
he moved up. Tony has his own store up in Massachusetts uh, and a whole full lab there. He has a hash maker, Will, um, who he hired good, uh, I think it's good Will Hunting's or good Will Hunting 710 or something on Instagram. He's heard of him. He's a great hash maker, super awesome dude. Um, honestly, just was probably making hash a lot more on a small scale than me and having fun in his own thing. And he's just like, he's just on it, dude. He's very numbers oriented. And he's a great hash maker. So he's kind of overtaken that role of being the hash maker over there and being like that lead extractor guy for Blue River. Well, I'm going to do the console for edible thing and kind of just step away and do you know, my thing that's going to make me happy. Not that ma making hash doesn't make me happy. It just doesn't in the capacity of like having to do it as my full-time job. You know, it's like being in a lab every day, making hash with uh, no windows and, you know, just making the same strain every day over and over and over again, just because you have to. And it's not for me. Like I, I do you, do you compare that to, to the, the how people call it you know the art of hash making or like being that's lab of, life bro that's different that's lab life well and that's You're the thing it comes no, no 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 because because he's saying not just not just the fact that he's making hash it's the fact that it's like yeah, you're in the corporate life and, and I think of like the same thing as comparing it's like also art like it's art compliance. in the art it's in compliance the, and regulatory well let him answer well, I think I think for me, it's just that anything that you truly love, if you have to do it every single day, all day for money, it starts to suck. Even even the two one five thing when it when cannabis was different, like it was a hustle, and like yeah, it was it better than being in an in a lab with no windows every single day? Hell yeah! But at the same time, was it incredibly stressful sometimes? And like, did it suck making this thing that you loved your whole life? Sometimes I feel like I put myself in a box, you know, like all I have is weed. And it's like, I don't, when I like, when I, when I'm feeling that way, I have to remember that that's not what's going on. I have a lot more things going on in my life. And to some of it's, th most of it's thanks to, me. you know, like, I feel like I have so much experience in what, uh, it takes to go out and be part of an event as a team. I feel like I have event coordination, uh, skills. I have, um, creative direction skills, you know, like working for Blue River and um, with Tony, a lot of it is Tony's vision, you know, and uh, that's not a bad thing. I love Tony's vision. It's awesome. It, is it the same as my vision? Probably not. Like, but I've learned to work within what his vision is and I've become good at that. And, um, you know, I know that if I had an, I know working with Tony, if I have an idea that he's not going to like, I don't even say it to him because it's just an idea that he's not going to like. And I know if I have an idea that he's going to like, I'll say it to him and he'll tell me that he won't like it. And then two weeks later, he's like, that's a great idea. Cause that's how he is. He always like, you know, you know, he wants to think about it for a hot minute first, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it depends. It all depends, you know, like depends on who you work with. If I, if I had to work and make cash with Tony every day, I probably would, but he's out on the East coast now. And that's not my vibe. I'm not going, um, I don't want to live in, on the East coast and he's got a great hash maker will out there. You know, I can't like, it's, it's kind of like when I left Chicago and then I came back, it's like, I can't be like, Hey man, no, no. Like, can, can I take this food out your mouth? Yeah. I'm not that guy. So, um, it's good. You know, there's, it, everything is good. I feel really good about my future and what's happening, but, um, hash making as a nine to five for me is not my vibe. Hash making is a thing that I do cause I love it and I won't ever stop.
Like, don't, I told you I have that lab in the garage. It's not because I'm going to get rid of it. It's because sooner or later, I'm going to have to wash the cash. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say, it's all about love. It's, it's all about love, dude. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I didn't, you have to remember too, like the 215 thing being crazy stressful. You did it because you loved it. And like, even now I'm, I did all this. I did all the corporate cannabis thing because I love cannabis. But what I found is that corporate cannabis is not the same cannabis that I love. The stress used to be worth it for me. The stress isn't worth it for me. Anymore. You know, like the stress that comes along with corporate cannabis is just different. It's not for me anymore. It's not for what I love. It's me trying to, it's me trying to hold on to what I love for someone else. And that's not a, that's not necessarily like in every situation. I don't feel like it's like that with Tony in Blue River because I, we both love what we're doing, you know? And when I work with Tony, this camaraderie, we feel great. It's a, it's a good vibe. We, we, we work well together. We know how we, one another's brains work and we can, we can really do stuff together. But when it becomes a numbers game every day and it's just about making hash and I'm not there having that day-to-day experience with Tony because he's so busy running six states. You know, I, I can't blame him. It's not, it's not his fault. The company's grown. And it's what I, I work for it too. We all work for it, you know? Um, it just changes. It's what I want has changed. You know, like I have this kid coming. I want to be with my kid. I told my wife um, a couple of weeks ago, like my dreams to be a stay-at-home dad. And like, not that I don't want to do anything. I, I just, I want to be with my son. You know, I want to be with my family. I want to take care of them. That's what's the most important to me. So ultimately it's all about love. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it's making hash or the pipes or what you're doing for money or whatever. If you don't have some love in it, it's going to suck. 100%. So talking about what, what the future holds with your consulting group, you're focused on edibles. Like, yeah. Not a lot of experience in edibles. It's, There's it's- a lot to talk about edibles. I want you, can you yeah. talk about the evolution of edibles where they've, come from where they are it's absolutely massive and crazy um what edibles are now from when what edibles were when i started because what they were when i started was i have five jars of stems what the fuck do i do with these like um and now it's uh you know you could go to alabama and buy a delta nine edible or a delta what is it delta eight i don't even know how it works over there even like delta 10 now right like yeah there's all these deltas like these weird semi-legal brownies like hexahydrogenated i don't know it sounds sketchy i'm not into it crazy shit chemistry is wild factor the chemistry is wild i'm sure that they're their chemists and their equipment is probably pretty sound. Whatever you're ingesting is probably more or less safe considering what food grade standards are, you know, but that's, that's to be said about, you know, whatever you're eating too. So, <laughs> um, I don't, it's just weird. It's crazy, dude. You go to the store and they're like, you go to the weed store now and they're like, Oh, you want this Michelada mix, this medicated Michelada mix. It like already comes in a styrofoam cup with like, fucking shit and like a packet of tapatio and stuff you're like what the fuck is going on dude it's wild like there's beverages made by paps blue ribbon in there at, at the cookie store um gummies are obviously always the big seller you know like that's i feel like they make up a huge percentage of the edible market and um they're what most people want i think that and i think that that's another thing too like with my edible console company i realized that i have a lot of skills there that i could I could apply to other industries 
I was considering reaching out to some like supplement companies or health food industry companies for like, you know, Hey, you guys don't do a gummy vitamin with, uh, with this thing in it. Let's talk, you know? Um, and just kind of like try to see what my horizons are in, in terms of that, because I think I have a lot of industry or experience from this industry that could apply to other ones and a lot of creative stuff from this industry that could apply to other ones in a way that I don't even know if they think is applicable yet. Um, but, and then obviously there's connections with hemp, like because of being in the cannabis industry, I know like legal hemp farmers. So that could be brought into like, you know, some vitamin people and stuff. I feel like there's a lot of connections there. So I might try to explore those routes. Um, obviously try to get some more, uh, companies who might be interested in some edible consulting or starting up an edible brand, uh, from their existing brand. There's so many brands out there that I feel like have a great market for a handful of things, but then don't have edibles. Or if they do have edibles, they're really just kind of subpar. And the edible brands that are like succeeding are ones that are doing it on their own. And for me, it's, um, not that I'm like not stoked for the edible brands that have come into the market and are doing good on their own, but like. The way I see can cannabis going is that unfortunately, because those guys have such a small little corner of the market, they're either never going to grow at all or slowly be phased out eventually. And my theory is that Wait, edibles in general or no, no, no. Just like the brands that are like, all I do is edibles. All I do. I'm a gummy brand. There's a few of them in California that are like, I make gummies and they're killing it and they're doing great. But like at the same time, like Kiva makes gummies. And like all these other brands are coming out with these gummies and all these other things. Like, yeah, you have that little corner of the market right now, but are you going to have it forever? And I, I hope they do. I really hope they do. I really hope that everyone who's coming to cannabis, uh, especially in the California market, the legacy people succeed, but it's, it's scary, bro. It's a scary industry. It's changed a lot of things. It, um, when I, how do you set themselves apart other than a different gelatin to pectin ratio? Like, what, what are some things that you're seeing that, um, unique flavor? And, and I was going to say, what kind, what kind of, of cannabis is ideal? I, I mean, that for me, solventless extracts obviously is like the ideal. And is that the future? No, unfortunately not. Uh, it's a connoisseur market thing that will exist again. Probably it'll be held in a small corner of the market, but. You see these brands, dude, like even for example, punch punch is an edible company here in California and they're making rosin now and they're making solventless edibles and they're just going to, you know, eventually those bigger brands who have a bigger corner on the market, they're just going to push everybody small out. And it, it sucks to say it and I hope it doesn't happen. I really do. Like I said, uh, but I don't really see it going another way, unfortunately. And that's what sucks. That's, that's one of the huge reasons that I want to step away from working nine to five in, in cannabis, because I feel like everyone is going to be pushed out eventually by the big boxes or bought out. I mean, you, you're going to get lucky. You're either going to get pushed out or you're going to get bought out. And I have a different opinion. You do. I'd love to hear what, I'd love to hear what you think. Cause we see this in a lot of industries, right? And like, say more mature industries, like look at pharmacies, right? Right. And look at even dental offices, look at like a bunch of those brands, right? So there's, there's huge players in the market, but there's always room for like artistic and unique and quality 
products and service to have that niche market. So while I think you're right, the bell curve is going to change and the middle of that bell curve is going to be all corporate. There's going to be the ends where you have the people like yourself that will literally be able to make a fantastic living and have an incredible business. Now we may not be able to take over the corporate side, but also I think you're of the same mentality as Jameson and, and RJ and myself that it's like, fuck that. I don't ever want to be like that. Well, and yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, yeah, no, I definitely have that mentality. The, there's a very predatory business aspect of, uh, like, of what's going on in corporate cannabis. And that's just not for me, dude. I don't want to be part of it. Um, and I, again, I don't, I don't, again, I don't think I have that experience with Blue River. I think that Tony's doing his thing and he's, he's in with his partners who are helping him expand his brand. And he's like, he's got a good corner, you know, he's got a good niche to fulfill. Um, my, the thing that scares me about your optimism in, in the market is that I, I don't disagree with what you're saying in a lot of other industries, but the hard thing for me is that the, there may all, I think there'll always be room for a boutique, um, grower or hash maker or product provider, if you will, but the boutique dispensary that's this small one-off spot is not gonna exist and the reality is like i hope the farm to table could happen i i would love for something like that a farm to table kind of thing where you and like and a lot of you know a lot of people say hey farm to table in cannabis is just called vertical integration you know because it's like hey we grew all this weed and now we're putting it right in our jars and it's going straight to you it's like a lot of people bitch about that and they say it's not good but at the same time, vertical integration is something that gives a brand the ability to control everything from start to finish. So their quality is always on point. There's good sides and bad sides of everything. You know, corporate cannabis for me is good because it destigmatizes cannabis for everyone. It makes it legal and accessible. It makes people who would never think about smoking weed because it's illegal smoke it. Um, it's, it's given me an opportunity to have a life outside of what I always thought it would be, you know, like working in a kitchen part-time and hustling on the side, you know, like it's a, it's an awesome thing. It's also just not why we do this. We all talked about, you know, we talk about how this is for love and like, you can't be a corporate overlord and have love. It, it, it doesn't work, man. Like they're not, they're not. So I'm stuck in between, like I work for a corporate, you know, like several hundred million dollar, you know, like NASDAQ listed cannabis company. So like, you know, like I, the only thing that keeps me in it is love. Well, and that's the you thing know? me too. That's what kept me there too, was love for long enough. And it depends. Maybe your situation is better than mine. I hope that it is, you know, like I, I would hope that most of these companies know that the people who are there, that because they love it, that they deserve to be treated well, that they deserve to have, um, they deserve to be, you know, like, I think there's a big thing to say for like the legacy people in the industry that we've, we've worked a, a long time to make cannabis what it is today. And that because of that, we deserve to have what we need, you know, and it, for me, maybe, maybe what I negotiated in my contract should have been different. Maybe I shouldn't have negotiated for a contract where I was making all the time and 
making the money that I wanted to make. And maybe I should have negotiated for, eh, I can, you know, kind of be more leisurely about this and I'll make a little less money. And it's just, you know, it all depends on what you want in your life and what you find. And I think that for me, I'm just finding that with my kid on the way, my situation is different. And like corporate doesn't have what I, what it had to offer me anymore. And I miss what I had in the past. I miss the, the cowboy days, man. And I know I won't ever get them back. So, um, well, like, I don't know, you seem to find yourself at a, at a place kind of ahead of everyone else consistently. Right. So like, somehow, I, somehow, I feel like, so like, honestly, man, like, I think like, with, I think the money and I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how I got here sometimes. If I ask, man, <laughs> it's the love, right? Cause, because you're actually genuinely in it, like for love, you're like pushing yourself away from the things that like kind of bring you down to a level you don't want to be at. Right. And then you embrace the things that raise your vibrations to the point where you, you, you know, want to continue and, and continue that momentum. So I think with this reset that you're doing, somehow you're going to find yourself again pushing it super hard somewhere so I yeah love and seeing I, kind of where you land my man i don't disagree my love for it truly tr i think truly like transcends why i've i've been successful in what i do i really do love this i love i love smoking hash i love smoking weed i love hanging out with people and laughing and talking about bonds and and being able to like you know talk shit about your jar and you talk shit about my jar and like it it's it's what it is it's that's I truly love it. And I think that that's what the show is about, man. It, I think it shows in that in all my relationships in the industry, I have great, uh, I have great relationships with everybody. I don't really have like animosity with anyone that I know of. Like if anyone doesn't like me, like tell me why we like, let's fucking smoke a bowl and talk about it. Like I want to be homies. It's cannabis. Yeah. Let's get high, man. Yeah. Dude, like we probably have a lot more in common than you think we do. Uh, and we could talk about all that and it'd be really cool. So like, I try to be on good terms with everybody. I don't want any beef or animosity. I want the love, dude. Love, love what you do. Love yourself, love people around you. And like, everything will be good from there. You know? I want to ask, um, where do you see cannabis in mainstream dining? This is a, this is a question that actually stems from talking to Jameson. Cause I know he like, he wants to see this so bad. I would love to see that. Uh, and fine dining. <laughs> Especially in the fine dining, excuse me, especially in the fine dining thing. Um, but I'm a fat asshole and I love food, so maybe that's why, but <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's not for everyone, so it's hard to say if it'll ever go mainstream, you know? I think that there's a lot of really cool chefs who are young dudes who smoke weed and are into cannabis who um, in the next maybe five years or so they that you might start seeing them do the cannabis pop-ups or the the parties i know that um i i when i lived in the bay i loved going to the cosmic supper club it was an event that was like so cool i had so much fun about that because a lot of people a lot of our viewers don't don't know what that is cosmic supper club was an event i don't think it exists anymore i don't think the project is in existence anymore the two guys who uh were part of the project together i think like went their separate ways and are doing their own things now but what cosmic supper club was was essentially it was a supper club um and it was like it was kind of like a you had to sign up to get on the list and then like you know if there was seats you could go it was, it was kind of exclusive and bougie but you'd show up and it was 
it was everybody. It was all the heady boys, dude. And like so kids would fly out from like New York to come and Chicago. To, it was crazy. It was wild. Um, but it was like a five or six course dinner. Each, each, uh, each course was paired. Um, the chef is Chef Doja Chris, I believe on Instagram, chef.doja.chris. Uh, and then um, it was organized by uh, Slabby and Groovy Money. Some of those dudes, some of those guys who are just like Bay Area kind of uh, cannabis people. And you'd see everyone there. There were all the cool people there, uh, glass artists. You'd go there and there'd be a table with all the cool glass artists hanging out. And, um, you know, the homie Lot Comedy would be at like every single one. He was always there. We were hanging out all the time. He's such, he's super tight. If you don't know who he is, check him out on Instagram, Lot Comedy. Um, but it was just, you know, you'd go, you'd have this beautiful meal, beautiful courses everything paired with a solventless dab um and you know they they before dinner started there'd be a little spiel where they would talk hey you know tonight's tonight's dinner is you know inspired by this chef uh you know was really he found these things at this farmer's market and was really inspired what's the chef's name again chef doja chris i can uh see if i can look it up maybe i'll pull it up i'll pull it up for sure um then everything was just awesome. Constantly different hash maker. Sometimes one hash maker would do every course. Sometimes it'd be a different hash maker for every course, a different flavor every every course. And you know they would pair things up to complement one another, and uh, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience. You would you would take your bite and smoke your dab, and you know get a little bit of both on your palate and experience them together, and finish up your food and. It was an awesome experience. We'd have so much fun. And you before before dinner started, you just smoke tough. Everyone was smoking. And like uh after dinner, everyone was smoking. Like the and yeah, there you go. Doja Chris. He he would do the chef stuff for everything. Um the food is phenomenal. He killed it. Uh so that experience was super cool to see. I, I feel like we may start seeing some more experiences similar to that in um in the future with some chefs i know that uh chef joe sasso who i think was on some cooking competition show has been doing some like weed type event things or like event he's been more involved in some weed culture stuff i think he did something at maid gallery in chicago um i feel like he did do a supper club a special edition supper club with uh, these guys before they stopped doing the project at one point I'm not sure if that's true don't quote me but I feel like I remember seeing something about that on social media so there's some there's some chefs who I think would be really into the idea who would push it but I don't think it would be ever like a thing where like okay this restaurant just does this you know it'd probably be more like we're gonna have this event uh, we're gonna do it four times this month uh, you know and sign up it's this it's x amount of dollars to come it's also not a cheap experience. You know, when you go to something like that, I feel like the ticket was not inexpensive. It was several hundred dollars at least, if I remember correctly. That was a Michelin star chef. Yeah. Yeah, the food is fantastic. It was incredible. The food was, inc and I'm, I, I love to eat, dude. I live in LA now and like, I, I fucking, I'm cruising all over for food all the time. I'll drive 40 minutes just for pizza. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, 
it's I'm it's no joke. So who are some some groups that you admire or you think are putting out really uh nice edibles on the market here there in California? Oh my gosh. Um to be honest, when I when I buy the edibles at the mart on at the store in California, I'm always buying those smoking gummies because I just feel like they're the best ones. Um I've tried a couple other things. I like the wild gummies a lot. They have really good flavors. I'm not huge on their consistency, but their flavor profiles are awesome. They like taste really, really, really good. Um, I haven't tried a drink that I like at all. Uh, the Michelada powder was good. I did have a Michelada, uh, but it was it was also like only good in that it was like drinkable and a novelty i think like you know like i wouldn't go out and buy one uh, again whatever um i enjoy yeah. the wild ones some chocolate bars I, I i honestly i'm really bad at remembering names i tried some chocolate bars the other day that were uh pretty good actually it's probably about a month ago now but i had a chocolate bar it was really good um it had like they had a bunch of different flavors and um it was just something like really unique I feel like a jackass now even bringing it up because I have no idea what it is. No worries. <laughs> no worries. Knowing, knowing what you know now and your experience that you've had in the California industry, you had like an angel investor that was to show up and say, you know, go, go do your thing. What would, what would that be in the, in the California market? Or would you even enter the cannabis market right now? I don't know if I would even enter California cannabis market right now. It's yeah. really crazy to do something on your own. Yeah. I think that the best way for someone to enter California cannabis market is to do something that they're really good at and then partner up. I'd say one of the best examples is Fidel, um, who partnered with Cookies and he's doing great for himself. And he really, they're really just helping him push his brand. And he got a good deal. Like whatever his deal is, it seems to be working out well for him. Um, I think that. Yeah, you're better off trying to build a brand that has recognition. I feel like the cannabis industry in California is one of those wild things where you could come in with pretty much nothing but like brand equity and be like, hey, I have this brand that people like. And they just be like, cool, we're running with it. You know, like it doesn't really matter. I feel like you're going to see very near in the future here, tons more rappers selling weed, uh, all sorts of weird little niche LA stuff. Like it wouldn't surprise me if you see like brain dead studios out of Fairfax doing weed collab stuff, just, you know, like the hype fashion people, things like that. It's all like, especially here in LA, dude, um, all that's going to happen. So for me, I think it's, you know, it's all, it's all the cannabis industry here is all about branding and packaging and selling something. And it doesn't necessarily have to be great. It just has to be marketed well. Um, a great example is I smoked some weed about four or five months ago on the market. I don't remember the, I'm not going to like name names or I do remember everything, but I'm not going to name names because I don't want to bad mouth people. But the weed was trash. It, it was, it was trash. I was very un, unhappy with it. Um, the bag was super cool. It had a lot of marketing going on behind it at the time. There was ads for it. They were talking about it. It had pipe. Um, they sold out the blotches a few months later, or, I, you know, a couple harvests later, back on the market. New bag, same marketing, new new thing, same weed, same trash weed, sold out like that. Again, it, it's not, 
it's it's about how it's about how you can sell something so like even if you're good at something like even if you're good at something so many brands might just look at it and go okay well i can just do that you know like they'll they'll learn how to do it do it on their own um it's hard it's hard for you to say my know-how my knowledge my skills are value because as a hash maker like we talked about how how the industry and how hash making has changed so damn much we're at a place now where um it's not hard to make hash it's not hard to train a guy to pay him 18 dollars an hour to run an icon or a whistler tech machine or whatever and to pull bags and throw it in a freeze dryer and make sure you change the oil in the pumps and to squish rosin. You can train someone to do that stuff. So where's your value now? Like peer pressure, God bless them for all their awesome products that they've put out and all the the presses and all the things that have made pressing rosin so awesome. But at the same time, they offer consult stuff. And if you have no experience or whatever and you're a grower, you could just go there and pay them a buttload of money and they'll teach you how to make hash and rosin. And like, me as a hash maker, I have no value anymore. Like I'm gone. They're doing this consulting thing. And like, like you said, that's, I feel like where my future is, is in consulting. I can make hash. I can do edibles. I can apply a lot of what I've learned from cannabis to other industries. And I just want to be with my family. So I'd rather be able to do what I do from home, figure out some clients, bring in some money that will that's steady and stable and do it through licensing deals or royalty deals however it works out um you know it's it's crazy you know like i always thought that weed was just going to be this thing where i sold weed and i had my pile of money from selling weed and i had my paycheck from my job and i you know like it was just going to be that thing and now it's become this whole crazy job i don't i can't remember the name of the monster where you cut the head off and another one comes out every time but it's just becoming that it's like it's every time you feel like, oh, you know, I got it. I defeated it. It's just like, well, here's another monster of a head for you to deal with. And it just took all the love out of it for me. RJ, hold on to the love if you got it. If you feel like the company you're with is good, hold on to it, dog. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I've had my ups and downs. Uh, Everyone but does. Like, ultimately, like, I'm not like now I'm not a good place. I'm, I just actually celebrated my three year anniversary on Friday. So like, it's taken me, you know, three years. Uh, and you know, it's like, I've developed a lot for the company. Um, you know, it's not saying anyway, I'm not gonna get too far into it, but it's, it's actually this show that has reignited my passion. Good. Um, the last little bit. I was I was kind of dragging. I was really actually dragging. Uh, for for me, book, yeah, uh, for me, this feels really good too. I I need this because my passion is kind of burnt, you know, for a hot second. Not, and it's not that it's not there. It's just that it's kind of like you know, it's almost burnt out. We gotta throw some wood on this fire. It, the The thing yeah. is, is that, and I've had a similar you know go as you, Pat, and and, and having you know, I've had quite a bumpy ride, but but. When it's more than a job, when it's more than a nine to five, and when your connection to this is is so much more personal, it's so much harder to to act and move in ways that wouldn't 
be virtuous with, with the person that you're trying to be in this community, because this community is your home, this community is your value. And like these people are, are what you base your value on and who you want to talk to at the end of the day. And so like, I tell people all the time, I shit where I eat. I, I, you yeah. Know, yeah, they, and we all know you're not supposed to, <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to it. And, and, and so when you're not part of this community and when you don't care about the plant, a, first of all, it's easy to pretend and B, it's easy to act in ways that are just monetarily focused because right. when I worked in another industry, I didn't get home and still think about that industry. It'd be like, oh man, I'd really love to fly over to this city and go to a conference that talks about commercial real estate like i didn't it would it, i didn't care i was done at 5 30 i was fucking done and you wanted to get me for that job you could get me tomorrow at 8 30 like done and that doesn't happen with cannabis that doesn't happen with us it's something that you can't turn off and and so we have to move through this this industry so much more tactfully than people who are just vultures here to to just eat this carcass and move on to bitcoin and blockchain or you know metaverse or whatever else is hot like we saw it we saw it so polarizing in canada that you know it completely it was like a line in the sand was drawn and it was like so clear to me and i was like i know what fucking side i'm on so, and that's how i kind of feel now is like this this line in the sand has been drawn and like i'd rather just do my thing you know yep. and if, if you want to reach out to me and you want some help i'll help you out you help me out We'll talk about it, but I'm not going to come in. Yeah, you pay me for it. We'll we'll work it out. But like, I just can't be there for you every day being being this guy. You know, like, it's funny. Like you said, you, you shouldn't shit where you eat. And you said you do it all the time. And I felt kind of the same way. I'm shitting where I eat, like all the time. And at the same time, you know, I remember being a kid and everyone like, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That's a fucking lie. Don't ever listen to someone who tells you that. If you do something you truly, truly, truly love, you're going to be hypercritical on yourself every day. You're going to beat yourself up about not doing it the best you could. You're going to get burnt out on it. And you're going to feel shitty because you love it. It's like when you're mad at someone you love and you want to yell at them so bad and you just don't do it because it'll you feel shitty that you even want to yell at them because you love them. It's the same thing. If you love it so much, don't make it your job. Let Let it be this thing you love. And if it brings you money, that's cool. But don't make it this thing that you're dependent on for money let it bring you money and that's what i realize now is cannabis always brought me money and now it's this thing that was dependent on for money and it's like yes it's just a, that's different a really experience. good way to put it that's yeah really that's, that's i like that yeah it's uh it is that's, it, that's the struggle that's the struggle of like it's it starts and money's so stupid too you know so yeah and becomes the vocation but then like it it's like get kind like sometimes it's, you know it's hard to man. i'm in la everyone drives a fucking nice ass car everyone's got cool clothes everyone's in shape and looking good has money or looks like they have money or faking it till they make it or whatever it gets in your head bro it gets in your head about what you need and what you want and like what's important and like you know, after stepping away from work, I've realized that what's important is my happiness and my family's security. And like living in living in and around LA to to grind all the time to work to never see my family to pay for childcare to do all that stuff. Like maybe that's not the move. Like my future might not be right here. Those cookies look delicious. 
RJ made cookies, I made a so, I, so I asked my wife to make me cookies. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, man. No, I, I think Brian, like, that's a... I was going like, to say, hold on. Uh, yeah, when Jameson and I were going to visit, shout out to Green Camel. We were talking in the car. We went to go check out an amazing grower up here in Canada. Amazing, RJ. And um, I said to I said to him, because I was just, like, bitter about everything. And I was like, I just really want to, like, have some property and, like, grow my own food and, like, maybe have some animals, you know, grow some cannabis, you know, have, like, a lab, you know, have stuff so I can, like, fuck around. He's like, I just want to be a farmer. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Do it. Do it, man. Like, you can. That's the cool thing is, like, what I've realized is that I've put myself in a box so much. I feel like I, I felt like when I first stepped away from the blue river thing and the, in the, in the nine to five here, making hash, I was like, I have no skills. I'm just a hash maker. I'm covered in tattoos. I have dreadlocks. No one's going to give me a job. I'm totally fucked. You know, like I have a kid on the way in three weeks. <laughs> like, this is crazy. What am I going to do with my life? And I realized that I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> And that's awesome. Like it's liberating and, and, uh, just it, I feel so free. I haven't felt, I honestly like everyone, I, anytime someone I haven't talked to in a while calls me or I reach out to, I'm like, they're like, uh, so how are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm not working anymore. Uh, the guy didn't really want me there. So he like, let me go. I walked away. Um, you know, it's all good. And they're like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm like so happy. I feel better than I have in months. Like, I'm so juiced. My kids. Bro, that was me. Go, I did the same thing. Yeah. When you purge um, negative people out of your life, like you, it's like um, you, you don't even feel like. Sometimes I went to ask bridge. It, it hurts, but sometimes you just are like, oh, that fire is cozy, dude. It feels so good to burn that bridge. Yeah. So I wanted to, Pat. I wanted to ask you something. What's up? You got a kid coming in a matter of hours. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you thought about this because I haven't asked you. But so I have two kids. I've got a, an almost uh, six-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. And, a half year old. and would, how will you raise – you're having a boy? Is that what Yes. He'll be a boy. How will you raise him around cannabis? What What is your thought around – do you hide it? Do you – do you hit bombs around it? Do you let them appreciate your glass collection and let them like see it and touch it and talk to them about it as medicine and also recreation and better than something than alcohol? Yeah. What do you think about that? Because for me, I, my kids, like when we grow, they, they water the plants. My daughter says the yeah. bigger one is always hers. So what are your thoughts? What do you want to do? Have you planned it? What have you talked to with your, your wife's spouse? Um, weed's such a huge part of my life. I don't know how on earth I could hide it from anyone, let alone my kid who lives in the same house as me. Like, I can't even go to the grocery store with fools on knowing that I got weed in my bag. You know what I mean? It's, um, so <laughs> how I, my mom, my mom asked me the same question. She's like, what are you gonna do about weed and the kid? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, weed pays all the bills. Like, I'm gonna hide this thing that like puts food on the table and like, Realistically, even if I'm not doing working as a hash maker, I'm still an edible consultant. We'd still paying bills, you know, it still puts food on the table. It's still 
a thing of income. It's still something I love. Like none of that changes. So, um, yeah, I don't think that I'm going to like hit bongs in front of him. Uh, since my wife has been pregnant, I've moved all my smoking outside. Um, I, luckily in Southern California, it's pretty easy. It's pretty nice. And I don't really, I'm not like taking a dab every 10 minutes. I'm like hitting a bong. So it's like pretty quick and easy to run in and out. Even if it's like cold and rainy, um, probably not smoke like around him. If I'm in the house, if we're like outside and he's playing in the yard and I was like over here and he was over there, whatever, I'd smoke weed. I'd, I don't care for me. Uh, my parents always, uh, drank not like excessively to the point where like they were shit face hammered every day or anything, but they drank alcohol and like, it was never a thing that was like shameful or hidden or whatever. And like, you know, my dad had a kegerator in the garage cause his, my, his brother would come over and our neighbors were like firefighters and paramedic dudes. They'd all come over and like drink beer and they just, each one would take a turn buying the keg, you know? So it wasn't weird for me to have that around as a kid. I just knew that it was something that I wasn't allowed to have because it was for adults. And I feel like kind of that similar approach, like, you know, this is for adults. And if you want to do it when you get older, that's up to you. But, you know, you can't have it now. But the pipes are all in display cases and out and on the mantle and stuff. Like, they're not really hideable. I don't really intend to put um, all of them away. I'll probably put a lot of the pipes away, like, when he's little, just for, like, safety of not being broken but once he's to an age where i feel like i don't have to worry about him and i can put him in like a cabinet and you know put like a little thing so he can't open it on there or whatever yeah they'll probably all be out and when he asks questions about him i'll just be like that's dad's those are dad's pipes there is glass pipes you can't touch them because they break you know and uh you know as he gets older he can learn about them and why i have them and chances are he'll just think that i feel like if you make something into a big deal it's going to be a big deal but if you don't it's not a big deal you know, like, and for me, that's exactly it. I I know dudes who were like, oh, my, I knew a dude whose dad collected like old, old, like model cars. Uh, and he, in the garage was just like shelves and shelves, and shelves, all of these model cars. Some of them were like in great condition. Some of them were all beat up. And I always thought they were super cool. But like my homie just thought his dad was a loser for having all them, you know, those are my dad's stupid fucking cars. He has like a million of them. He's such a dork. All he cares about is stupid cars, you know? And it's like, you know, now he's like, yeah, my dad's cars are really cool as an adult. But like, as a kid, he's probably just gonna be like, yeah, it's my dad's stupid pipe collection. Fucking dork. <laughs> you know, like, that's what I think about. Like, if my kids are like younger and like someone's smoking, they're like, oh, you fucking losers. That's what my dad that's what my dad does. Like, yeah. oh, you guys are smoking a joint? That's what my dad does outside. Like, he freezes. He tells me how stupid it was to go outside and smoke in the freezing cold. You guys are so dumb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, who knows? However, I will tell you, and Jameson's been to my house, my daughter and, like, little Millie, like, pearls and stuff. She's like, those are mine. Like, <laughs> Loves them because they're cute little pieces of glass with like pretty stuff on them. I'm sure. Oh yeah, and like I was looking yeah. for like pearls. She made me. She made me buy opal ones. Yeah, for sure. And there and like I have a UV reflective like little <laughs> slurper top, and she's like, I love that. Where's the black? Like you know, and it's like, but the idea of like, if I'm like about to dab, they literally leave. Yeah, 
right and and like i've got like an air filter that yeah and like they know the door closes and like they know if the door is closed they're not coming in or like if i'm outside like smoking right they're not there what's up coach brucey i think you didn't have to set those uh those boundaries you know and make sure it's like a very um just very much one of those things that you're like, okay, this is for adults. If you want to do this when you're grown up, you can. But right now, you're a kid, so no. Oh, and he actually had, so a friend of mine actually made taffy, edible, like edible taffy. And it was like stupid strong. So my daughter saw us eating. She's like, I want some. We're like, no, this is like for adults. <laughs> so she got all upset. So I told my friend, he's like, oh, no problem. I like, I mix it in. He makes it with distillate, which isn't the greatest but he's like, I mix it in like later on, I'll make a batch that has nothing in it. And like, tell me what her favorite flavor is. So like, she got like two flavors and she was like, yeah, beyond excited. And you realize like, what's the excitement that they have for this? It had nothing to do with cannabis or it being for adults or anything like that. It was the fact that it was like, yeah. Or like the food that we had that was like good, you know? And it's like the same thing with like, with like beer. I never, I hated beer when I was like a kid, but like, I always wanted to try it because everybody was like, yeah, for sure. And my dad would always let me have like a little sip of beer, like once in a while, like not all the time, but like, you know, sometimes I'd ask like, yeah, you can have a little sip, have a little sip. And you'd like sip it and you'd be like, oh, you know, like, you'd be like, it's gross. Right. And you'd be like, yeah, it's gross. <laughs> like, why do you like it? Why, why do you want it so bad? And you're like, I don't know. I just want it because you have it. Well, that's the thing. I I think that I think that my parents, my parents growing up, they had like no recollection of what it was like to be a teenager, to be a kid. Yeah. And I don't know why or how they don't remember that shit, but I remember that shit so vividly. Like, and when they're like, when they're like, I don't understand why the kid is just acting like this. I'm like, don't you remember when you were like 16? My little brother was like, I forget what it was. It was like a girl or something. He was like freaking out. And he's like, don't you remember like being 16? And just feeling like your whole world was going to collapse because you like felt like you loved someone. You don't even know what love is yet. And she's like, no, I don't remember that. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Oh, like, it's so easy to forget yeah. for some people that it's just like kids just want to feel like they're part of something, too. It's like I, I have a I've seen kids around weed every which way from like the little wook on the hill with dreadlocks who's like helping water plants and like hopefully gets to go to school one day to the kid who doesn't know their dad smokes weed. And you know what I mean? It's like it you're ultimately you're a parent. You can do whatever you want, but I think that hiding things from like kids are kids are constantly like put in this box of like, they're a kid. They don't understand that. And it's like, well, they don't understand it. Cause you don't want to explain it to them. Kids are smart, yo. Kids are, kids are smart. They're way. Hey, you want to hear? You want to hear something really fucked up? And my son, when he's older, he's gonna fucking kill me for telling this story. But it's honestly <laughs> the sweetest fucking thing in the whole world. So my son, he'll be six in two months. Literally, like the sweetest kid in the whole world. So he went to school, and like, if a kid's having a hard time, he's the one that goes up and is like trying to make them happy. And then we'll go over to the teacher, like if he can't, and like tries to make them feel happy so he asked he asked my wife he goes now i know babies come from your tummy and i know they have to come out of your vagina 
because we tell them everything we're honest like why make it gross or whatever right or yeah. like silly or it's not sexual to him and uh he's like but vaginas are small and i've seen babies they're pretty big so 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 how does that happen so my wife's like well you know it like it like stretches whatever it's like that's what labor is you know he's like does it hurt um he's she so my wife's like yeah you know it hurts but you know we got a wonderful baby whatever and he's like i'm so sorry mommy i didn't mean to hurt you <laughs> and then he goes can i see it can i see what that's like so my wife ends up finding a video like from above of like a woman like in a water birth like and you just see like from above the baby coming out and he's like oh my gosh so that's what happens he's like can you show me from the other side and he didn't like that there was like a little bit of blood she's like okay i'll find one and anyway so she found one that was like suitable for him and he's like oh my god that's what happens that looks like it really hurt i'm so sorry i hurt you so bad mom and it's like the fact that he's like almost like five and a half almost six and like the processing that this kid has and now like the understanding that he has, I can't believe he's in like senior kindergarten and he has that understanding and it's nothing to do with like sexual or whatever. And like, he's going in so ahead of everybody else and in such a right manner. And I feel so good about it and the way he went about it. And like you said, kids are like so smart. Can you think of like if we all knew that kind of stuff at age five or six, like how different your life would have been? Yo, well, rock kids at five for me. The stork dropped them on your front. Well, and that's the thing. You gotta remember, like, dude, I grew up in the Midwest where it's like the Bible belt where like everybody is like, you're either you're either like you're you're either like, you know, at church every Sunday or you pretend that you care about church. And you go on the holidays, you know? So it's like this weird whole thing where like, there's all this religious aspect and like, it's like, I don't know. It's so weird for me because there's a lot of contradictory stuff with it where like the, you know, it's not supposed to be sexual, but you can't talk about childbirth because it involves a vagina and that's sexual, but it's like, but it's not because they're talking about a baby coming out of it. Like, and they're like, same as they're talking about a toe, man. It's part of your fucking body. Well, and that's the thing. I think that I think that kids are sponges. They learn they learn better as a kid. So, like, the more honest and straightforward you are with them, and and like the more you explain things to them, the more they're going to retain information. The more they're going to learn things, and the better it is for them in the future. Because now that I'm thirty two, almost thirty three, I, I like, dude, I had to remember how old I was just now. Like, I can't learn shit anymore. It's hard, dude. It gets, it's not, it's not. Uh, I'm right there with you. I forget, I forget my age all the time. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, it's just learning, retaining information is difficult. I feel like I, if I don't watch the TV show that I've been watching for like a week, I'm like, what the fuck is going on in the show? I have no idea. Can we start it over from like the jump? I have no idea what happened. That's because it really doesn't matter. Well, that's true too. But like the whole thing is like, I just feel like when I was a kid, it was like, dude, I remember stuff from when I was a kid. that's like absolutely ridiculous. Like I remember sports facts from a book that I read going poop at my friend Tom's house when I was eight years old. You know what I mean? Like I, how do I remember that? But I can't like learn something new that's important for my life. Like, God damn it. What's wrong with my brain? 
so like that's like society and screens has like a lot to do with that like how our attention's kind of hijacked with all this stuff it's like this is true too this is true too i and that's the other thing too people were like what are you gonna do about screens for your kid and i'm like well i can't like not let him have a screen at you know it's like crucial for life bro i'm an eye i'm an eye doctor and like yeah the recommendation is don't let them like look at a screen until two it's like what the fuck yeah. is wrong with you you're not gonna watch tv so if your wife's gonna breastfeed or if you're feeding from a bottle you're not gonna sit there and watch tv or be on your phone ever yeah that's crazy. in two years that's crazy bullshit that's crazy and then what when your kid's lying down on the bed and you've got pillows all around and you have to go quick take a quick piss and your wife's like out grocery shopping or you're out grocery shopping. She has to take a quick piss. You're not going to put on some fucking cartoon like nursery rhymes for them to listen to. Or you're just going to what, like leave them there with nothing on. Or you're going to what, tell Alexa to play something. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, it's crazy. Technology is crucial to life. I think that it's important, like, especially now it wasn't, uh, it always has been, I guess. Like when we were cavemen, we needed knives or we died. And <laughs> like, and you know as time goes on technology becomes more crucial if like you don't let your kid experience the technological advances you know there's kids kids now that are fucking 10 years old are probably like way more proficient with a phone or an ipad than me and i'm and i feel like i know well, they're programming at 10 yeah that's what i'm saying like these kids can do this crazy shit and it's like to deny to deny your kid from being able to do those things which is like part of the way the world is going like not let them make their own decisions for what they want in their in their life is like crazy to me but at the same time, we're like, yo, we're going outside and we're going to the park, like, right now. This is yeah. going yo, that's literally the conversation I have with my son. He's recently got obsessed. I, I was talking to uh, <laughs> our friend, the Juan, over there. I was like, yo, my, my son just wants to watch Minecraft videos, people playing Minecraft and shit. He's like, yo, that's what I used to do when I was younger, too. I was like, what the fuck? Why does everybody watch Minecraft videos of each other? So I literally say to him, it'll be like, he'll be doing it for like an hour. I was like, yo. Turn that shit off. We're going outside. And if he says no, he goes on. He knows I'm going to unplug it. And like, he doesn't have a choice. Yeah. And so like, then we go play outside and he's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so glad we went outside and like had fun. You know? So it's like, I think you have to have that balance. And I think yeah, they like, need to realize that like, okay, you're the adult. And so you can control it, but like, you're not going to deny them that. Cause you, as you said, kids are smart. They figure this shit out. And on top of that, you then need to be honest with yourself. Are you going to avoid the screens? Are you going to set that example? Because as a parent. Well, I'm going to get rid of all the social media shit, I think. I think I'm going to get rid of all the social media outside of like business stuff. You know, that's a different story. That's a different story because that's just invasive, invasive for your life and not really great. Yeah. And, it, and it's just well, and I like that's the thing. It's like I can tell my kid not to have a Facebook or whatever, because I don't have one. I can tell my kid not to have an Instagram and a TikTok because I don't have one. But it's like, the other thing is, you got to, we, we talked about it earlier. Kids just like want to do things that they're not supposed to do. I smoked weed because I knew that I wasn't supposed to smoke weed. And like, I was like, well, why am I not supposed to do it? What's the whole schmear about, you know, what's that all about? And I'm like, it's got to be something going on with it if they don't want me to do it. So it it's, that's why I smoke cigarettes, not weed. Because then I was like, wait, you smoke cigarettes and don't get high? I smoked cigarettes after I smoked weed because I was trying to get high. I don't know. I, I was like, 
I wanted to see what that was about. Everyone I knew who smoked cigarettes just like smelled like cigarettes all the time. And like when I grew up in Illinois, you could smoke in a restaurant still. And that was like gnarly when I was a kid. I remember that like every restaurant was gross. Like even like five or six years after they stopped the smoking ban, like restaurants still smelled like stale old cigarettes. It was so gross. So it was just like, I don't know. Cigarettes always turn me off. I actually do really like tobacco. I don't smoke it at all anymore. But I do really like it now. Like, I smoked a lot of chops and stuff, and I got a lot of shit from it from my friends. Um, but I do like tobacco. It's just really bad for me, so I just don't. I don't fuck with it at all. What's up? You mentioned something earlier that I thought was interesting when you were talking about, you know, small craft scale in your kitchen sink to, you know, large working with vessels and your experience on both sides of that. And I wanted to ask you a question that we like to ask everybody that we have on the show is that, you know, with your experience and understanding with the technology that currently exists with the Whistler Tech, the Osprey, the Icon, do you feel as though there's a limit on the quality of of product that can come out of these commercial machines when compared to a hand paddled uh, product? Or do you? Yeah, think- I think so. I think so. Um, not, and that's not to knock on any of these machines. I've I've smoked hash that came off a Whistler Tech machine. It was pretty good. Uh, working for Blue River, I was running an Icon every day, the big boy. Um, and uh, it all depends on how you do it. I feel like um, if you run the machine with with a lot less weed in it and run it for shorter cycles and kind of treat it more like you would a hand wash, you're going to get better quality out of it. I think a lot of people are just kind of running it for like a production scale thing yeah, and trying to push numbers because that's always what's important. Um, and, uh, but to be real, I think that the, the real, the realistic thing about it is if you're hand paddling, you're doing something on a small scale, uh, chances are there's just more love and everything from the beginning dude the the weed had a lot more care about it there were a lot less plants each one got a lot more time put into it it was fed a much more strict regimen of something that was going to help produce the resin it all comes down to it so like i would say that yes like in my experience just like through friends and other hash makers in the traditional market who work on a small scale who do uh, hand wash stuff, their hash is almost always better than things that are available in the market, you know, uh, the retail recreational market. Um, but is that necessarily just because of the hand paddle? There's like all these other factors involved, you know, like, um, good point. Some of those guys I know are running some of the, you know, some of the, some of your favorite hash makers might make hash in a bubble now. You don't even know it. You know what I mean? Like, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, dude. I have I have hand paddle stuff. I have two bubble mouths. Like, I have a whole bunch of different things uh, to to make hash a bunch of different ways. It, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, as the saying goes. So, hundred percent, whatever works works. I think that, um, in terms of like a bubble now machine, if you keep it super pristine and you have it like always with really good material that goes into it, like it's a great way to wash hash, like takes all the work out of it. If you're doing it on small scale, it's really, really easy. <laughs> like seriously, especially if you do some like quick modifications on it, which are really easy to find out how to do online. Um, super great. Uh, so there's no reason to like, there's no reason to like stop using tried and true methods for making hash. 
is the best hash hand paddled? Yeah, but it's also like usually grown in a six plant room or something. You know what I mean? That guy's like, yeah, I, I grew these six plants. I got this much. I paddled it all. It's fucking beautiful. Here's the hash. Uh, this is all you can get. It's one gram. <laughs> like, all right, all right. You know, like, and maybe that's why it's so good because it's special. You only get that one gram. And all that love is there, dude. I was going to say there's that magical element to it. Yeah, it's secret ingredient. Like, you know, anyone can make a cheeseburger, but that guy who really loves to make a cheeseburger makes it way better than everybody else. What are your thoughts on um, <laughs> versus rosin? Like, are you pulling the belt out of your, uh, out of your almost, Yes. Uh, if you talk to Will, the hash maker from the East Coast on Blue River, he was, he can, he can corroborate that I am a big proponent of pulling the melt. Uh, even if there's just enough for our heads, <laughs> because um, that's our treat. You know, that's the special thing that you get to enjoy as a hash maker. And like when full melt is for sale, I'm always very skeptical and it's often not full melt and that's okay, you know, but um, just squish it, man. Like for the most part, like if it's not real melt that like, you know, and there's guys who do it. Don't get me wrong. There's dudes who put true melt out, but they're not like in the rec market for in my experience ever. And I think I've only seen full melt in the rec market a handful of times. Any, anyway, um, most of that stuff is again, traditional market guys, small dudes with small grows growing with a lot of love. And they're like, yeah, we squished everything, but here's, you know, we saved an ounce of 90 U or whatever. And that's all we have. And it's full melt. They're available, but it's like, I can't get that hash anymore. The, the, the traditional market in, in the States is going wild. I don't know what happened, but, um, weeds either dirt cheap and horrible or so expensive and insanely fire that like i can't and i can't even get it even if i wanted it i can't have it like there's i don't know what's going on but like all the good weed is like gone or if it's available they're like yeah the pack is 8200 and you're like what and they're like well it comes with bags and i'm like i don't care about the bags without the bags I'm trying to buy in bulk so that I pay less. What are you doing to me? Right. Which of those bags, like six grand? Yeah. Dude, look, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I mean, it's it's the wild stuff. It's all that like crazy hype wheat, the blue zushi, the yellow yeah. zushi. Uh, Black soap. I, I saw Cash I saw Cash Tree Mason at uh, Puffco's PuffCon event. Who's a, he's an old friend. I hadn't seen him in a hot minute. And he's like, what's up? I didn't even recognize him. He, he had like a beard or he looked totally different. Maybe he was shaved. I don't know. He looked totally different than the last time I seen him. But I was like, oh, shit, cash. And I was like, so what's up? You got some weed? Can I get some weed? He's like, oh, yeah, here's a nug. And he like gave me a nug. And I was like, this is a joke. Like, what is this, a joke? And he's like, yeah, there's no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's gone, dog. It's gone before it's chopped down, dog. What? He's like, yeah, dude, it's impossible to get like, and he's. I used to get weed from him for like $150 an ounce. He was like the homie, you know, like back in the day. I tell people that and they're like, just say what? Huh? Same up here. Yeah. And dude, it's, and his weed's incredible, veganic, that grandma's cookies and cookie dough cuts that are just super fire, the Starburst. He has like all these great strains and grows great weed. And he's just cool. You know, I like dude. He's, he's really chilling. 
And, you know, the weed slowly got more and more expensive and I was still buying it up until it was like three fifty a zip or something. And then I was like, I'm out dog. I'm stepped away. And I had a kid from Chicago tell me that he paid $1,250 for an ounce of, of weed from, from homie. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's insane. Dude, it's insane. Forget those. What the fuck? That's what I'm saying. It's crazy. Like the, the shit that I would like to be smoking and that I used to smoke. No problem was just like gone. It doesn't exist anymore because it's been swooped up into this super high end connoisseur slap market that I don't even know where it came from. I'm just trying to smoke that weed. I'm not trying to sell it or anything. I'm just trying to get like, you know, I'm just trying to get a QP to smoke on for the head. You know, what's up? $20. Like that's bananas. It's insane, dude. That's insane. The market's wild. And then like the, the companies that sell all the good traditional market hash, you know, the jars are, you know, sometimes you'll find hash in there where it's like a two gram jar for like 180 bucks or 175 bucks but like they're typically 200 dollars, 220 dollars. i've seen them higher 250 you know it's nuts it's wild wild and that's like all the stuff i want to be smoking on it's like i yeah dude 42 a gram sorry i yeah dude i know 42 dollars a gram cannabis but it's not like it's it's not like cash is getting that for it, you know. He's like, he's no, but that, cash. like that. Like on what level does a forty-two dollar uh, like gram of can like? Bro, you put me on an island, and and I don't have. Yeah. To okay. 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 I get you. I get you. Like it, certain islands, me. But you're not on an island. You're in Chicago. <laughs> There's other good weed that's not forty-two dollars a gram. Oh yeah. No. Nobody fucking grow weed in their basement. The thing is, it's not about, it's, it's not even about what, it's not about the weed at that point. It's like buying a Louis bag. You're buying a Louis bag, you know, you're buying it to show off. The only difference is the Louis bag sticks around for a long time and the weed's gone in three blunts. <laughs> oh, that's right. Three months, but like, Yo, you're not keeping that for three months. Yeah. What are you, who are you joking? No. Well, no, I said three blunts. I meant more three like blunts. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Blunts probably for me. I roll fat blunts, but. Damn. Yeah, those are fat blunts. Yeah. Gorilla fingers, eighth minimum in a blunt. So we talked uh we talked a little bit about it, but I always like to get it at the end of the show from from everyone, Pat, is your advice for people in the industry looking to stay in the industry, and then your advice for people looking to get in the industry or outside the industry. Um, I'm sure you get those questions a lot and, and I'd love to get your insight on them. Um if you're looking, if you're in the industry and you're looking to stay in the industry, I think you really need to find uh, a way to give yourself value and make sure that, you know, it can't get uh, broken down and put into a box and monetized for a much lower price point than you feel like you're worth. Um, it's tough. It's a tough thing to stay in. Uh, do you feel, that, do, you, do, you, do you advise people like, and I'm just interrupting because I know you come from the old community where it was just so much sharing and there was just so much sharing of information. And then I feel like some individuals who come from that community continue that sharing and, and they really get taken advantage of. And so kind it, of understanding that it sucks, it sucks, but yeah, no, like don't share all your information, protect yourself, contract up, paper up, make sure you're protected, get a good lawyer. Like, you know what I mean? Like do all that stuff. Um, 
I think that people do get taken advantage of. It's a total bummer when it happens. And people from the old community, we are like, we were very gates open. Come on in, dude. Like, let's learn shit together. Because we were learning and it was about sharing information amongst one another because it wasn't a legal industry. We had to do it amongst one another. There was no other platform for uh, growth to happen. So um, the community around cannabis is... One that's like, I, like we've talked about this whole time. There's a lot of people who love it. You know, they love that shit. They've made it their whole lives. And um, don't give up what you've made your whole life very easily. Don't, uh, and like, don't, don't get me twisted. I don't feel like that's what's happened. You know, like, I feel like I've given a lot to Blue River. I feel like I'm still involved with Tony. I'm on great terms with him. I'm part of that, uh, that team in a sense. Um, so you're just speaking in general. I, I'm just speaking in generality from what I see in the industry all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I feel like don't, don't give up what you've worked your whole life to develop for yourself very easily. Don't just give that information to someone because just because they have a smile on their face and they like you like in that moment doesn't mean that that's their long-term motivation. Um, I think that if I had advice for people trying to come into the California cannabis industry, it's don't, uh, as sad as much as that makes me sad to say, don't. Uh, California's crazy. It's expensive to live here. It's hard to live here. Uh, the, the recreational industry does not. Uh, the, the positions that we feel are valuable because we've done them our whole lives as, as like labor guys, because we were running our shit and doing your thing, whether it's you're a grower and you, you know, you're a master grower and you work that that shit you have value for that don't let some company break you down and tell you you deserve fifty five thousand dollars a year or less because you're a great grower and like they're trying to make it sound like they're doing something good for you by that like that's not true like just i don't know um it's hard it's really hard to say like your situation is good and you have a partner you can come in and figure something out like maybe there's a golden moment maybe but again, your partner has to be right. Your partner has to be a player, like in the game. They have to, and they have to actually care about you. So, like, do you know that they do? Yeah. It's it's rough. It's a rough scene. Um, I wouldn't recommend trying to get into it if you're not involved, especially if you're like trying to come from the idea of like I'm a grower. I know how to trim. I know how to do all these things. Like a lot of people come to me and say they have these like skills or like, friends from Illinois are like, oh, I can trim weed. I've grown weed. I worked at this trim here, and I'm like, dog just stay there like don't and i don't mean that like and if you want to come to california come to california i it was the best thing i ever did in my entire life but um it's hard it's fucking hard we're seeing a mass exodus happen of a lot of no it is it's totally happening it's totally a lot of people are leaving and i I might be one of them you know i might be leaving here in the future not because i don't want not because i want to but um because it's what's right it's what's right in the moment and um I think it's just an industry that's, it's a little, it's too little too late to try to get into almost like, you know, unless you can really show up with, a, with big money investors and do it yourself, vertical integrate or something. It's, it's a really hard thing to just step in and like hold the door open. There's a lot of people trying to push it closed on you. Um, Absolutely. Pat. Well, California's lit. Yeah. Don't, don't let that scare you. Like find something else and come here anyway. You know, like it's awesome. Yeah. But uh, 
cannabis just ain't it, man. Like, at least not right now. I think that there's room for change. I think okay. there's a lot of room for change and a lot of room for growth. But um, okay. what's happening right now is I just see all the big players in the industry really, like, you know, taking over and pushing a lot of small people out. It's just hard, man. It's hard to it's hard to stick around and it's hard to know whether or not you're doing it because you love it and it's good for you or because you love it and you can't let go. 100%. 100%. So you mentioned a couple individuals in your story of sort of your come up through the years, but are there who who were the most influential people through your journey, you know, shouting them out now just just give you a chance to to sort of shout those people out. Oh man. Um God, in my life, uh the people who've been inspirational for my journey. It's so hard to say. Um Corby and Space for sure were huge. Um huge influence in like making hash on a large scale. Not just that though, but like giving me a chance, you know, letting me move into their house when I was essentially broke. I had like 400 bucks. I lived on the couch. They just like, and they didn't know me. Like, you know, my friend Bridget was dating Corby at the time and she let me in or she like got me into the circle and they like took a chance on me. So like them for sure. Tony um, gave me a ton of stability in my life when I really needed it. Um, my wife, she's awesome. She's my rock. And she's so supportive. Um, I don't know. I feel like those are my top three for sure. Like Space and Corpy are kind of an entity because they're literally like brothers. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do without those two. That's awesome. That's awesome, though. So, how can people find you going forward? I know you're at Black Work and Bora. I think you've got another. You can find me there. Um, I have another Instagram. Uh, that's just Leaf Eater Edibles. Um, you can find me there. That'll be my console page. There's nothing on it right now. I have been, like I said, in baby mode, um, Absolutely. and in work mode with Blue River for so long that I hadn't really been doing too much, uh, with marketing that brand. Cause it was, you know, I'm, I've been doing the project with Blue River to get the edible going, uh, for them, the edible line going for them and stuff. So I was like, okay, let me get this contract up and then I'll get some stuff posted and get some things going. Um, so that's all kind of in progress. You can find me there. You can find me at Blackwork and Borrow. You can reach out to me uh, there. Um, I also am trying to get a cool thing going, uh, which like a movie night thing with some of those uh, supper club people that I talked about earlier, that project, some of the people involved in that project, I've been uh, talking to them about doing a thing called Astral Cinema or Astral Projection Cinema Club. I have an Instagram for that too. There's also nothing on it currently. But yeah, I'll be around. Reach out to me. Anyone who wants to talk about console, just reach out at any of my pages and we'll talk. I'm more than happy to. Thanks so much, guys. I had such an awesome time for you. Did. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Yeah, man, it was great. I feel like uh, it's just good to talk about weed in a positive manner. It's been a lot of, I, I told a buddy of mine, like, I've never cried more about weed in my entire life than, than like the last couple of years of my life. And it feels good to be so positive about it. It's great. Hundred percent, bro. That's what this is about, and and we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we're definitely going to love to have you back on and hear more about what you're up to in the future, man. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It was really absolutely awesome. love to come back. Thank you, much, yeah, bro. Thank thank you for yeah. coming on and sharing. Yeah, to and like, congratulations on the upcoming baby. Can't yeah, wait. To I, I, hopefully, meet him. So excited. 
Yeah, and next time, one. next time he'll be around. He'll be my my uh, co-star. That's so love it. So all right, buddy. We'll <laughs> talk awesome. soon. Have a good evening, everybody. Right. Take care, everyone. Again.